0: But, uh, yeah, Bradford Green, RUF campus minister at TCU. Um, quick personal note, so excited for, for you as a congregation. I don't know Brandon super well, but he's been ministering in my hometown in Tennessee um, and actually right next door to the uh, church that I grew up at. Um, and so I've enjoyed worshiping there uh, when I've been home for Christmas or holidays in the summer and, um Yeah, so just really excited um, for him and for you as a church. Uh, Quick note about RUF at TCU. We're just a few weeks away from students coming back to school and coming back to RUF. So uh, please pray for us if you get a chance that we would have a normal semester, uh, that the gospel would go forward on campus and pray for us as a RUF staff. Um, My two interns, Peyton Bocek, who's here with us this morning, uh, going into a second year, and we have a new intern, uh, Gina LaRusso, who is going to be moving to Fort Worth probably next week. So, uh, appreciate your prayers. We're going to look at Psalm 111 this morning. It is not printed in your bulletin, um, so listen closely or turn there in your Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word never goes out and returns to you empty, always accomplishes its purposes. We know we'll do so this morning. We pray that you would make it so in uh, the name of your son, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Well, I always enjoy preaching on a psalm because, as David Pallison once said, the psalms are for you now. The Psalms are for you now. Who was he talking to when he said that? When did he say it? It doesn't matter because the Psalms are for you now. In other words, wherever we find ourselves, the Psalms help orient us toward God. They give us an emotional palette that we can use to figure out what we are thinking and feeling and experiencing, particularly in worship. So I like to say that the Psalms are like, The Bible's App Store. If you remember when iPhones first came out years ago and Apple had to find a way to explain uh, what the App Store was, they would say, the slogan was, there's an app for that. So, do you want to learn to cook authentic Chinese food? There's an app for that. Do you want to find where you parked? There's an app for that. Do you want to find your soulmate? There's an app for that. There's an app for just about anything is what the commercial said. So the Psalter is like the Bible's app store. There's a psalm for just about anything. Are you exhausted from the grind of your life and feel like you you struggle to even get out of bed in the mornings? There's a psalm for that. Is your life full of joy and your heart has taken wings and the sky seems to be extra blue? When you walk outside, there is a psalm for that. In other words, your life is reflected somewhere in the Psalter. And so God has shown us, He's given us a a template to give words to our experiences and to actually turn those back into worship on the Lord. And thus the Psalms are for you now. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 111 and we're going to ask ourselves how does this Psalm orient us to the one true God? How does it teach us to worship Him rightly? So let's open this up. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. In other words, hallelujah. What kind of psalm is this? It's a psalm of praise. And in Scripture, all praise begins and ends by looking at our God because He alone is worthy to be praised. Praise the Lord. Now, we could stop there, actually, and uh, God would be justified, right? He is a a perfect being. He is holy and just and good, and he deserves praise in and of himself without actually any qualification or uh, explanation. And yet, he is willing to teach us. He's willing to show us why he deserves praise. And that's what really the rest of Psalm 111 is about. Continuing in verse 1, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. And so we have a setting here. And the setting is not unlike this one. It is the gathering of God's people. Something that we may have taken for granted not that long ago. But we do that much less now. The gathering of God's people. The psalmist begins with I, as if to say, follow me. But then, uh, quickly, it turns into something Again, more community-oriented. This psalm is for the congregation in relation to God. And so, as we'll see moving forward, the, the subject that the psalmist really wants us to key in on is this. The works of the Lord. The works of the Lord. He's saying, praise the Lord and here's why. Praise the Lord because he has done all of these things. And so that's what... We'll flesh out this morning in three parts, the works of the Lord. First, God's works are great. Second, God's works are gracious. And third, God's works are enduring. So God's works are great, they're gracious, and they are enduring. And all of this is going to lead us to one conclusion, that God deserves praise for what he has done for his people. He deserves praise for what he's done for. For his people. So let's dive in here, verses two and three. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. So, as we look to orient ourselves toward the Lord, as we look for sort of a, a handrail to, to steady us in worship, the psalmist encourages us to think about the, the great works of God. Now, this would have meant something different to the original readers of the psalm, right? Uh, God's works don't just sort of fall in a a heap, in a pile. They unfold over time, and that's what we have in Scripture. So, an Israelite that would be uh, reading this or singing this would be thinking to himself, Okay, the works of the Lord. He called our father Abraham out of the land of his fathers and entered into a covenant with him. He brought our people out of slavery in Egypt by parting the Red Sea. He fought for us to gain us entrance into the promised land. And this Israelite would think if he was faithful, yes, God has done great things for us. But what about us, right? I mean, does this psalm fit us? Can we we put it on? Well, again, the psalms are for you now, right? So, uh, first... So what Psalm 111 says is, is a true portrayal of God, no matter the time frame involved, right? God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And that idea is even built into the psalm, as we'll see. But, but second, in a very real sense, if you are in Christ, then Israel's history is your history. In other words, when you were adopted into God's family, you inherited with it. A family history. Because God's people aren't two. They are, they are one. His people are the church. The, the faithful throughout all time. And so that's why in Galatians 3.7. <clears throat> Paul says. Know then that it is those of faith. Who are the sons of Abraham. That means when you believed in Christ. Again you inherited a history. So that what God did for Israel. In a sense he did for you. Creation fall, the exodus, the promised land, this is actually your story, the story of the church, the people of God. And so the first thing the psalmist gives us is to how we are to view these these great works of God are that they are great. Now, great is a a little bit of a a cheap word, right? We sort of throw it around a lot. How are things going? Great. Uh, Let's meet for lunch. Great. And we mean something different here. Scripture, the word has a a heavier, a a thicker sense to it. And we see it in verse 3. God's works are great. They are full of splendor and majesty. And so there's a a regalness here. There's something imposing and noble about the works of God. And so even though the psalmist isn't... um, Totally explicit here, which works he means. It's clear that he's referring to those big events in Israel's history. And if you remember the prophet Samuel raising a, an Ebenezer, a, a stone of remembrance in Israel, right? Um, literally, a stone. Then I think something similar is happening here. It's as if the psalmist is leading us through a, a series of, of mental Ebenezers. These monuments of God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. And so we're reminded of uh, that God's works in creation and redemption are, are great in the fullest sense of that word. That every act of God carries with it his beauty and his power and his splendor. And there in verse 3, his, his righteousness. In other words, all that God has done in the history of his people reflects his nature and In his character. So because God is great. His works are great. Therefore we should praise him as great. Praise the Lord. But the psalm is for you now. Right? Because the God of this psalm casts uh, somewhat of a shadow. He's that big. He's that powerful. In the shadow of of greatness we feel our, our smallness. And in his power... We feel our weakness in the shadow of his righteousness. Maybe more than anything else, we feel our sinfulness. And those are actually good things to feel in worship. They're not easy things to feel, but they're true and good things. It's a, a holy self-awareness that reads this psalm and says, Yes, God's works are great, and mine are really not. See, our works, they're, they're little, Right? They don't at least seem to change much. Our works are weak. They don't carry with them great courage most of the time. And our works, always, uh, even the best of them, are tainted with sin. But remember, for every Israelite who sang this, the same was true. I mean, this was a whole nation of people who had been belittled by hundreds of years of the cruelest. Slavery, And so they too felt little, and they felt weak and sinful, and that contrast is exactly what makes God's works great. They're not great in relation to him, right? They're, they're normal in relation to him. They're great in relation to us, to little, sinful, feeble people, the people who yelled at their children this week. My wife was out of town this week, so I'm extra guilty on that, on that count. To people who made bad financial decisions, to people who wasted their time at work, to people who didn't even crack open their Bible, who who utterly failed at a whole bunch of important things. The psalm is saying, you did that, but God did this. He set an entire redemptive in motion and worked it patiently and perfectly for the longest time. He turned back oceans. He conquered nations that looked completely unstoppable and and he bore the people he set his love on with perfect patience all so that he could get things just right. Get the timing perfect so that he himself could step down out of heaven into one of these broken down bodies and die in our place for our punishment on the cross. Great are the works of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So God's works are great. They tower over us uh, full of splendor and majesty. This incredible scope in power, and righteousness, and yet, this is our second point, they are gracious and merciful. What does it mean that God's works are gracious and merciful? I think, for one, it means that they are personal, personal. Let's think about that for a minute. I think this is a little bit hard to to grasp because we live very ordinary lives um, in which, you know, we don't really see the powerful and the personal come together very often. So I like to think of it in this way. If you've ever watched the Academy Awards or some other award ceremony, this may happen at the Olympics, I don't know. Uh, the winners often give a sort of shout out to their kids at home, right? And they, they look into the camera and they say, you know, we'll, we'll take my oldest son. Hey, Weldon, I, you know, if you're still awake and you're watching this, then this one's for you. I love you. Now, why do they do that, right? It's not like the child had anything to do with the movie or the, you know, the competition that they won. Uh, it's because th- it's just this idea that if, if uh, you've just won an Academy Award for Best Picture and you're standing in front of thousands of people and you're wearing a, a $2,000 tuxedo and holding a trophy, then you want to share that with the, the people that you love the most, And so for a child, hearing your name spoken in that moment and in that context, and not even because of anything that you've done, must be an incredible moment. The powerful and the personal coming together in one thing. And that's sort of a shadow of what God has done for his people. That he has spoken your name from the throne of the universe. The Lord is gracious and merciful His works are these cathedrals of grandeur to be marveled at, but they also narrow down into something very personal, a a sort of pinpoint in your heart. Because they're, they're not just what God has done, right? God's works are not just what he has done. They're what he has done for you. God is not just gracious and merciful in general. He's gracious and merciful to you. In your life. How so? Well, it doesn't get more personal than this. Look at verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. Food. I mean, think about that. This psalm, it, up until this point, we've been sort of flying around in the ether of God's divinity. And we have this bird's eye view of redemptive history spread out all in front of us like a, like a map. And then the psalmist says, but don't forget, he gives you food. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God gives you sandwiches and coffee. It's the best thing that he gives us, probably. And and bluebell ice cream. It's maybe 1B, 1A, 1B. So his works are great. They are infinitely great, but they are also infinitely personal. But it's really even better than that in this psalm, because, you know, truly wrath can be personal. And in fact, God's wrath is personal. And God isn't just against sin as a concept. He's against sinners. He's against bad people. And according to Scripture, that is all of us. And if you're here this morning... And you've never put your faith in Christ. Then you're actually under that kind of wrath. But the gospel doesn't stay there. It tells us that God is gracious and merciful. And so his works are gracious and merciful. And his greatest work, the one most full of grace and mercy, is that he sent his son to redeem us. And so you see that the scale of this, that on the one hand, he gives you sandwiches, right? But, but Jesus is the bread of life. On the one hand, he gives you coffee, but Jesus is living water. And on the one hand, he gives you bluebell. And on the other hand, he gives you heaven, right? I think those two are related. But from the common grace to the saving grace of Jesus God has cared for his people absolutely perfectly. And so by faith, you become one of those people. And you're connected to all this power, the, the full grace and mercy of God. And this psalm, the rest of scripture also makes clear that it, it's that faith that's going to bring you home one day, ultimately. Because God's works are also forever. And this is our, our third point. They're enduring. They're eternal Verse 9, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Forever. That is a difficult concept, right? Forever. So as we just sit here... In, in a, a fairly normal Sunday. Right? How are we supposed to understand forever? This is my best advice. When you think about forever. Don't think about time. Think about God. Right? God is the one that fills forever. It's not a, a function of time. It's a function of the Lord. Of heaven and earth. And so when you think about forever. Don't think about time. Think about. God's character, his grace and his mercy and his righteousness, character that we've talked about. But even more specifically, think about Jesus. In verse 9, the psalmist says he has commanded his covenant forever, but the the fruit, the fulfillment and the culmination of that work is in Jesus Christ, right? He is the, the one that consummates the new covenant and he stands in God's presence on our behalf. And really when we look at Jesus. All we want is forever. Right? I mean I want to spend forever with the meekest and lowliest uh, man who has ever walked the earth. But one who is also coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. I want to spend forever with the man who is so tender that, that children would, would nestle in his arms but who also caused demons to cry out in terror. I want to spend forever with a man who never spoke an unkind word, who never failed to love anyone perfectly, but who is coming at the last day to judge the world in righteousness, to set everything right. God has commanded his covenant forever, but it's it's Christ who determines what forever looks like. For each of us. And for his people, for his church, it's very clear that we will spend forever with him. Praise the Lord. Praise him forever. We actually end with the psalmist on a a more practical note. Um, The works of the Lord have eternal significance. They also have uh, significance for here and now. Because verse 10, it's the fear of the Lord... It is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you see God for who he is, and you see yourself for who you are, then you have wisdom. You understand how the world is ordered. You have good understanding. By faith, you see your life and your relationships and even your death in relation to the Lord in their proper perspective. And so this psalm is for you now. Because... God's works are great, they are gracious, and they are forever. And if you believe that, it actually throws your works, these uh, little uh, sinful um, works, into a a whole new light. It means that the harshest word that you spoke this week cannot condemn you. It means that the darkest thought that you had this week cannot condemn you. It means that the most backward and ill-begotten and sinful emotion that you experienced this week cannot condemn you because of Jesus, because of God's greatest work. He hung on the cross to pay for those sins. And so if you believe that by faith, then you understand that God has commanded his covenant forever, that he sent redemption to his people through Jesus. And because of that, He deserves all of our praise, both now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so amazed um, at all of the ways that you have loved and served your people and taken care of us um, and worked this great redemption over many years, many times, many places through many people, and ultimately through Jesus. And so we pray that we would, uh, we would trust that, um, that we would believe that, believe your gospel, look to Jesus, and allow that to lead us in our praise of you, both today and in the days to come. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.